The Bible's got some great Valentine's Day card greetings. If you look hard enough out there in the world tomorrow, you're going to see Be Mine. You're going to see You Are the One of My Dreams. In here, we've got The Heart is Devious Above All Else, which frankly is a message I would love to receive tomorrow. The heart is devious above all things. It is perverse. Who can understand it? Happy Valentine's Day from Trinity Episcopal Cathedral. <laughs> I'm only half kidding. I actually think that card would sell like hotcakes. Jeremiah's famous dictum that the heart is devious above all else comes a little bit as a, as a kind of a non sequitur, I think, in this otherwise lovely image of endurance and strength. The, uh, Jeremiah says, blessed are those who trust in God. This is the kind of language that Jesus is going to pick up on later in the gospel. Jeremiah says, blessed are the ones who trust in the Lord. They will be like trees planted by water, sending out their, their shoots into the streams. The heat comes, the drought comes, the cold and the frost come, but the tree stands firm. Its leaves stay green. It continues to bear fruit. That's what it's like when you trust in God, the prophet says. And then in a 180-degree turn, he says, the heart is devious above all else. Where, where does that come from? Jesus makes kind of a similar dramatic pivot in the Sermon on the Plain. That's the reading we just heard. It's what we call this, this alternative reading of the Beatitudes, which is a, a famous sermon of Jesus. Many of us know some version of this, at least probably the version that's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's how Matthew has it. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. Luke's Gospel also records a version of this famous sermon. But rather than situating it on the top of the mountain, the Sermon on the Mount is how we usually call this thing, right? Luke's version is very deliberately in, on a level place. Jesus, Jesus comes down, right? Luke, Luke tells us he's been at the top of the mountain, but now he's coming down from the mountain, kind of like Moses in the book of Exodus, right? He's ready to, to bring the law to the people. Jesus came down, Luke insists, and he stood on a level plain. That location, I think, is really significant for understanding what Luke thinks Jesus' sermon is all about. Jesus is putting everybody who is listening to him on a level playing field. This writer probably has in his ear another great prophecy from Hebrew scripture that the, we hear it in Advent, right? The glory of the Lord will be revealed, all flesh will see it together, the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, right? You know that maybe from the Messiah, the crooked shall be made straight, the rough places plain, and Jesus is standing on that plain. He is gathering the people into the smooth place, right, the place of revelation, and he begins to speak. And at first, it sounds maybe like the sermon you know, a little, a little more direct, as opposed to blessed are the meek. Jesus speaks directly to the crowd, blessed are you, you meek ones, you poor ones, for God's kingdom belongs to you. Blessed are you, you hungry ones, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who are weeping, and blessed are you who are reviled, you excluded, you marginalized ones, you, are, you who are being defamed and persecuted. Surely your reward is coming. So far, so good. Right? Who, doesn't, who doesn't love an underdog sermon? But then Jesus pivots, as Jeremiah does, and the word he uses, at least in, when we first hear it, is kind of a terrifying word. Woe to you who are rich in this life your consolation has already been received. Woe to you who are living high on the hog, because you're going to go hungry someday, and you're not going to be ready for that. Woe to you who are laughing now. Woe to you who are successful now. Woe to you who are winning at life. Your fall is coming. That's bad news. 
That's bad news. I mean, to the, more to the point, that's bad news for lots of us in this room, because in the, the grand sweep of human history on this planet, we 21st century Americans are some of the wealthiest and most successful people that this world has ever known. Woe to us indeed. I don't know what you hear when, uh, when you hear the word woe. Woe is me. Actually, the English word woe is an is a, uh, English transliteration of the Greek word Jesus is using. The Greek word is also woe. Uh, and like in English, it's less uh, a labeling of an existential reality, right? Jesus is not condemning some people to woe. He's, um, it's an expression of anguish. It's like alas or, you know, hellas in, in Italian. A, a better translation might be something like, oh no, or, or look out, right? This is not you, you guys who are rich, you guys who are receiving your, your pay now, you who are hungry, you are cursed. If Jesus had wanted to bless some people and curse others, he would have used a different word. There are good words for blessing and cursing in Greek. That's not the word that Jesus is using. He's not giving the poor a lollipop while the rich get a coal in their stocking. Imagine Jesus saying something more like, be really careful. Watch out, you who are rich. Watch out, you who are successful and well-fed and secure. You're actually the ones I'm the most worried about. You're the ones most deserving of pity. Because we know from experience that when the world of the wealthy falls apart, it causes pain and suffering for them and for everybody around them. This is not a curse. This is not a punishment. This is just true. When you have a lot to lose, loss becomes a really hard road. Woe to you. I think that sense of regret, that sense of sadness, and maybe even warning, I think that's actually close to what Jeremiah means, several hundred years before Jesus, when he writes, the heart is devious, above all else. Here again, I think devious is a bad English translation of the word Jeremiah uses, which he's borrowing from that, that same passage from Isaiah, right? The crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. The rough places that Isaiah talks about, same word that Jeremiah is using here. It's not the heart is perverse, the heart is uh, a liar, the heart is devious. The heart is a rough place. That's literally what Jeremiah says. The heart is a bumpy road. The heart is bumpy, we might say. The heart is rough and unkempt and uneven and unpredictable. The heart is bumpy above all else. Who can understand it? And he's right. <laughs> I mean, we are bumpy people. We're rough people. We throw up every barrier that we can think of in the face of God's overwhelming, heart-opening, compassion-expanding love. Our hearts mostly are closed off especially in these days, with our world seemingly teetering on the brink of every kind of global disaster. And on the Sunday before Valentine's Day, our great national holiday in praise of the heart and everything connected to it, maybe this is the reminder we need. The heart is a bumpy place. Who can understand it? Because it turns out, just like the, the sentimental side of Valentine's Day, the chocolates and the candy hearts and the cards, there's a way to monetize the bumpier side of Valentine's Day as well, or maybe just the, the slightly more unexpected side. At the Bronx Zoo right now, they're in the 11th year of their most popular fundraiser. You can name a Madagascar hissing cockroach after the person of your choice. <laughs> I assumed that that was a way of like, you can name the cockroach after your ex, although at eight o'clock, a woman came up to me and said, I have had three cockroaches named for me, and they were, I assume they were not by my ex-lovers. She said, chocolate and roses will fade, but a cockroach lasts forever. So maybe it can be a, a testament to the fidelity of love. So there's that side. 
And then there's this other, I mean, some of you out here know this, right? Valentine's Day is not a walk in the park for everybody. For a $15 donation, the Nebraska Humane Society will write anybody's name, maybe your ex's name, on the bottom of a commemorative litter box so that every time Kitty does her business, you get the idea. It's their single most successful fundraiser for the year. I think a lot of us are processing something a little more complicated than candy and roses and hearts. The heart is devious above all else. The heart is perverse. The heart is bumpy. <laughs> and nothing is quite as effective at splitting us up into the haves and the have-nots like a holiday dedicated to finding your bliss, finding the one, finding your soulmate. I spent many years of my life being pretty curmudgeonly at Valentine's Day. Do you remember compulsory Valentine's Day cards in elementary school? Yeah, that's a setup for a scar for the rest of your life. <laughs> By the time I got to high school, I was one of those kids who wore black every year on February 14th, just to, you know, just to prove the point. <laughs> romantic love, if you had made the mistake of asking me about it, romantic love is a marketing ploy designed by our corporate overlords in a propagating a heteronormative monogamy fallacy, and I wanted no part of it. I was a lot of fun as a 15-year-old. One year in, in seminary, a classmate, a well-meaning classmate, left a single red rose on the chapel seat of every student who happened to be single on Valentine's Day before morning prayer. That was meant in love. She was a sweet woman. But most of us who received the single pity rose felt like a slap in the face, right? If she had offered to name a cockroach after the ex of my choice, I might have responded slightly more graciously. But what happens, of course, even when you are the most curmudgeonly guy in the world when it comes to Valentine's Day, that's me, what happens is that you, the universe laughs and you fall in love for the first time, and when that love is reciprocated, Valentine's Day becomes everything it was ever meant to be, right? You go whole hog for the thing, the sappy songs, the chocolate, the flowers, the candy. Love changes you, right? It's supposed to. It's designed to work that way, and love when it happens to you, is always a blessing. No matter how it comes, no matter from whom it comes, no matter what kind of ruin love leaves in its wake, a heart that is opened to love, opened to another person, the chemistry, that connection, all the, the sappy music and soaring violins in the world cannot quite capture the magic of falling in love. And that high, that high is a blessing. Blessed are you who fall head over heels in love because there's nothing better than that. Take your beloved out for the, the fanciest dinner you can afford, draw them a hot bath, eat your fill of the romance and the devotion, the affection, all of it is blessing. Love is a gift from God. And love is meant to be reveled in. To do anything less would be to, to dishonor and shame one of God's most precious gifts. And others of us are going to struggle a little bit tomorrow, right? Some of us have loved intensively, and it did not work out in quite the way we planned. Valentine's Day sadness, it's more than just being a little bit bitter about your ex and finding a cockroach to name after them, right? Some of, some of us, some of us sitting in this room, we are in the middle of some of the most profound grief that some of us have ever experienced. Some of you have seen your loved ones die and you were not able to be there with them. Some of you have lost children and you know better than anybody that no parent should, live to out, should outlive their child. Some of you are watching your longtime Valentine, your lifelong Valentine age and change. You're walking a, 
a difficult path, maybe it's Alzheimer's, maybe it's dementia, you're faced with a, a true upheaval of everything you've ever known. You're looking at long-term care facilities, you're imagining a future that's gonna look pretty different than the future you had anticipated. The grief and the uncertainty and the anxiety that Valentine's Day can occasion in us, that stuff is real. So the Sermon on the Plain, right? The sermon that Jesus gives where everything gets leveled out, which is to say, Jesus' great sermon on the heart, which is rocky. Jesus knows his Hebrew scripture. He knows it in Hebrew, not in English. He knows the heart is rocky. The heart is bumpy above all else. And Jesus' sermon is for us too. Blessed are you who have no sweetheart, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who have lost a child. Your tears are precious to God. Blessed are you who hate chocolate. <laughs> Blessed are you who despise sappy music and think that candy hearts taste like chalk. Blessed are you who were never invited to the dance and are used to standing in the corner. Blessed are you who will spend tomorrow alone, and blessed are you who are looking forward to that. Oh, blessed are we especially, because in a world that is devoted to partnering everybody off two by two, we worship a triune God, a God of threesomes. And that God, I mean, read your Bible. <laughs> Marriage is a way weirder thing in Hebrew scripture than anything we've got out in our, in our world. This is a God that is expansive enough. I mean, we're, get, we're just talking about this actually. Elliot's like, we've got this reading at Evensong about Jacob marrying both Leah and Rachel, two sisters. I'm, yep, <laughs> that's the Bible's Valentine's Day message, right? Like, here's a guy, here's his two wives. Um, I'm, God is big enough, and this tradition is big enough to contain a whole panoply of definitions of love that have nothing to do with what culture tells us love is all about because God sees all the ways in which we love, the weird ways, the inappropriate ways, the queer ways, the beautiful ways in which our hearts come alive. And the truth of this tradition is that you don't need a romantic partner to claim God's blessing. The blessing of the kingdom of God are not only found in the things that the world calls blessings. God's blessings are found in your exes. God's blessings are found in love that changes, in love that is colored by grief and loss and hunger and doubt and pain, the human heart is a super bumpy place. But in the kingdom of God, love is what levels the playing field. Because in the kingdom of God, the heart's bumpiness is not the obstacle, it is the blessing. The heart's bumpiness is the place where God's blessings are found. Because life is a wild ride and no feeling is final. So blessed are you who celebrate, and blessed are you who mourn. Look out for one another, right? Hold one another's hearts very gently and with great care, because love is an amazing level, leveler, the grace that smooths out the bumpy heart. And nobody gets into the kingdom of love until we all get there together.